Today, there are two million descendants of French-Canadian immigrants living in New England. These are our stories. Welcome to the French-Canadian Legacy Podcast. Venez tous jeunes filles et garçons, je vais vous raconter l'histoire de notre immigration ici au USA, de grands aventuriers de pays étrangers. This is the French-Canadian Legacy Podcast. I am Jesse Martineau. And today's episode is another first for the French-Canadian Legacy. Uh, we've spoken with guests throughout New England, and we've had a number from Quebec. Uh, we've spoken with a writer in France, and we've spoken to guests in New York and Louisiana. But this is the first time we have a guest from the West Coast. Our Jean Mathieu is a fiction writer who writes in all kinds of genres. He has written ton of different things from award-winning stories of the Peace Corps to the time-traveling mysteries of a Mexican detective. Just a really, really interesting person. So, Arjun, welcome to the French Canadian Legacy Podcast. Ah, merci beaucoup. It's great to be here. Now, before we get going, maybe talk about your work. Uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, where, where are you from? Uh, I'm from about three miles that way, General Hospital in San Luis Obispo, California. I was born and raised here in the house that my mother's father built uh, when he came over from England. And my father uh, grew up in New England, grew up in uh, Aero, New Hampshire, <laughs> the way that he usually puts it. Okay. Um, spent some time in Quebec when Bombardier. Uh, hired his father, and then they came out to California. Very cool. Now, so does your pop speak French? Uh, only until he remembers that he can't. <laughs> so, like, I will speak to him in French, and he will reply, and we'll carry on a conversation until he starts paying attention and remembers that he can't speak French, and then he can't. Gotcha. That's awesome. <laughs> now, did you did your grandparents grow up in Quebec on your dad's side? Is that what happened? Uh, no, uh, my grandfather was the first Mathieu born in America, and he would, you know, in first grade, he would go to school and learn the English, and then he would come yeah. home and he would teach it to his family. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, he and I, he actually recently moved out here with us from Virginia, and he and I actually speak French some. Awesome. So how did you learn French then? Yeah, I, I studied it in, in college. I took it because I wanted to read Les Miserables in the original. Um, okay. And while I was there, I discovered, you know, uh, La Bottine Suriante and uh, La Petite Vie and The Dungeon Galaxy Près de Vous, which is a bit more germane to uh, my work. And uh, I just discovered the richness of Quebecois and French Canadian culture and from, and, you know, discovered, you know, where my family had come from. And it just completely blew my mind. Yeah, where, where, do you know where in Quebec they're from? I believe the eastern townships, but that could just gotcha. be because Pops and Grandpapa uh, went to, moved to Valcour, where, of course, Bombardier is headquartered. That's awesome. Very cool. Now, how did you, Pops end up in the West Coast? His, uh, when Grandpapa accepted a new job with a company out west, they took a plane and Pops poked his head out the window and went, Hey, Pa! Where are all the hills brown? And uh, my grandpapa uh, said, well, son, this is California. That's just how they do things here. 
That's how it happens. All right. Now, did, did you grow up? I mean, obviously here in New England, we have a very different perspective. Did you know any other Franco-American families at all when you were in California? No. Honestly, the uh, the closest, like, uh, ethnic associations that I had were my mother's name is Castle. And there was, as in spelled, spelled the English language way, and then there was a kid... Uh, growing up near us, uh, whose last name was Castle, as in the German name. And uh, there was another kid growing up named Matthew. I was pretty much the only frog on the playground, which um, was made clear to me a couple of times. Really? Interesting. Yeah. Now, you talked about kind of how you went, had you had this kind of journey of discovery of your where your family came from, your heritage, your culture. Um, how does that impact, if at all, your writing now? As my uh, best friend noted, the three things that I'm never going to completely escape in my writing are the peculiar aspect of the sunlight on the arroyos, smell of exotic spices and frying oil uh, from my time in China. Sounds pretty and awesome. The snows of, and the snows of Quebec. <laughs> Especially like over the past decade, um, and I, I just did this review, over the past decade, you can kind of trace how comfortable I am uh, being public about my Frenchness because, you know, there would be a casual mention of a Corriveau or a Marcon <laughs> in the background of, uh, of one of my pieces in like 2012. Sure. Um, and then he, and then, you know, Corriveau would come and give a brief and be a one scene wonder in like 2015, 2016. And then in 2018, I wrote a romance novel set in Quebec in the early 1900s. So, yeah, kind of jumped in with both feet. And I, <laughs> I remember that because I remember that because David Vermette's book came out like a month later, and uh, you would not believe the num the amount of sacra coming out of my mouth when I realized <laughs> that the perfect reference guide to write that book came out a month later. Well, you just have to write another one now. Obviously. <laughs> Very cool. That'll now, make my wife happy. Perfect. <laughs> I'm sure. Now we just we you bring the, you brought it up, so I need to follow up on it. It's got nothing to do with Franco-American anything. But how did you end up in China? Well, I grew up in a tiny drinking town with a fishing problem. Gotcha. I mean, pardon me. Um, and uh, you know, town of ten thousand people that everyone tells you is the best uh, place in the world gets kind of old after your first 18 years or so. Um, so I wanted to get as far from Morro Bay as I could. Gotcha. Um, so I went to China to teach English because, you know, adventure, romance, <laughs> self-discovery, food. Sure. Yeah. Um, and then I came back to America um, and I was unemployable before it was cool with the Great, <laughs> with the great Recession. Okay. Um, and when I crashed my Volkswagen Beetle into the side of a mountain one day, I went, wait, what am I doing here? I need to go back to China where I can get a job, money, an apartment, a girlfriend, all the things I cannot get in America. Okay. Um, so I uh, en enrolled in Northeastern University, go Huskies, yeah. um, the, in their online program and uh, flew over to China. And uh, I was going to school in Boston while living and working in China. And as far as the IRS knows, resident in California the entire time. <laughs> that's very awesome. I mean, that's, I mean, that's so wild we can do that. That's awesome. Okay, very cool. Now, I do obviously, we got to talk about your work. Now, okay. What, how did you determine, first of all, that you wanted to be a writer? You know, I, it, it keeps getting determined. 
usually to the sound of me going of me going publishing. Every time I try to get out, they pull me back in. Yeah, you. Um, I was telling stories from a young age. I started writing up uh, one-page stories on my mother's electric at like six or seven. Wow. Um, came out with my first zine with my best friend at uh, age age thirteen. We uh, went to Comic Con to try to sell our second zine when we were both fourteen. That was a terrible idea. So um, that was not successful, though. No? That was super not successful. That was educationally <laughs> not successful. Gotcha. <laughs> um, and, you know, I've just been writing ever since. To, uh, another friend of mine last year went, you know, Roscoe, two people that I know that are trying to make a go of actually being, being a writer, you're one. The other one is a trust fund baby. Ah, oh, too bad. <laughs> you better be that guy. Yeah. Yeah, well, she's a pretty cool person, so. <laughs> well, that's, that's reassuring anyway. <laughs> so, what did you write first? Like, how did you start? Like, where does the one all of a sudden oh, be like, sci-fi. Yeah, this is what sci-fi. I'm going to So, the first thing you wrote was a sci-fi book. It got it published. Okay, I started out in sci-fi, and I've, and I've been working mainly in short fiction. My first, uh, my first award was a sci-fi story I wrote when I was 13, uh, back in 1999. Um, I won third place in the Ray Bradbury short story contest from seven states away. And uh, my, first, my first sale was profitable, but in a genre I'd rather not mention. My okay. second sale um, was a uh, sci-fi story to mindflights.com. Um, which is a Christian publication, and the, and the story had overt Buddhist themes, and I'm like, I won't bring it up if you don't. Okay, interesting. My first, my first novel you mentioned it is uh, No Time, the first hour, the uh, time travel mystery of Gabriel Martinez de Gutierrez, um, who has 48 hours to solve his own murder. So that's that's the one we talked about that, that happens in in Mexico. Uh, mostly it actually happens in Morro Bay and San Luis Obispo. I wrote it while I was in China and feeling incredibly homesick. Gotcha. Okay. That, very, very cool. Now, can you just give us kind of maybe an overview then? Because I talked about how you've written a number of genres. So mm-hmm. what are some of those that you've written? Uh, science fiction, fantasy, horror, romance, uh, erotica, westerns, uh, men's pulp adventure, and I know I'm forgetting what, mysteries. Mysteries, okay. Yeah. Now, how does this process now? Because somebody I don't, I've never written fiction in my entire life. Uh, I have a ton of respect for people who just create something like that. Um, what? I, you've never written a resume? <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. That's a good <laughs> point. Uh, but, <laughs> but how do you get to be like, you know what? Let's go with a western this time. Like, how does that? Like, you have a story in your head that can best be told via western, or do you? Be like, first of all, I want to write a Western or whatever genre and then try to come up with a story. Like, how does that whole process work? It kind of depends. Oh, and I've now actually uh, written some YA, although it's going to need some heavy editing. Okay. Um, but, like, the Western came around because there were the, the basically the same way that um, uh, Blazing Saddles got written. I was like, okay, Western is fun. I just kind of want to tweak it a little bit and play with and play with these tropes and turn them upside down and see what happens so i wrote up a so i wrote up a western where i could 
play with uh, a bunch of the expectations. Um, okay. Specifically, uh, the sh- specifically in that one, I played with the showdown at high noon, which is awesome, but fits in like three genres, and I. And, you know, I don't feel comfortable writing samurai stories yet. <laughs> and, and that's true for, like, anything you do? Romance, whatever? It's just, like, I have a story and maybe I should tell it best in this genre? Pretty much. Or, like, um, a lot of times a story will come about because there's this interesting anthology that I would like to write for. Like, they have this really neat idea. Uh, the uh, the story Glass House um, actually came about because they were like, we want solar punk stories about winter. And I'm like, well, in Quebec, there is this saying, mon pays, c'est une pas une pays, c'est hiver. Um, I'm pretty sure I can get you something. So I wrote this story basically around the idea of the anthology. I just finished another story for, a, um, uh, for an anthology called Silk and Steel that's... Uh, they specifically asked for a woman with a sword falling in love uh, with a woman with a pen. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure I can do that. Now, what is, is that, what about the, the, the ego punk project? Is that Glass and Garden Solar Punk Winters is the sequel to the award-winning uh, Solar Punk Summers anthology that came out a few years ago. I wrote this uh, story, Glass House, for it that takes place in a... Uh, Future independent Quebec, where in the middle of December, it's muggy and rainy in the middle of Montreal. And uh, these two girls, one from Anglo-Canada, one Haitian Quebecois, um, drive up to the Glass House, um, which is where the old Canadian ecosystem and to a very large degree, traditional French Canada is preserved under glass. And they have to decide whether or not to open it up and let winter back out into the world. Interesting. Now, how about your uh, the the Martian story? God, how did that happen? Oh man, that's that's a while ago. <laughs> it's pretty fun though. Gods of War. There was a uh, there was an old. I can't even tell if it's a Guaylo story or if it's like a traditional Asian story, and if so, from from where in Asia about a monk who had survived some ungodly amount of time until being discovered by uh, breathing very shallowly. And I basically transported him to a Chinese Martian city right after one of the huge Martian dust storms that you all remember from that one movie where Mark Wahlberg gets rescued. After one of those, and you know, with very little air, he stays alive um, for three or four days with basically no oxygen um, until the Martian Peace Corps basically comes by and finds him. And, you know, I based that part on the search and rescue teams from Hurricane Katrina, which should give you some, you know, context wow. for when this happened. Right. Um, and the story is about the uh, Peace Corps team finding, you know, nobody, finding nobody, finding nobody, despairing, and then finding this, this meditator. Gotcha. No, that's wild. Now, you've obviously you've done a ton. Do you have any idea how many total works you've published? Uh, how many total I've published? Yes. Pitifully few. How many <laughs> okay. I've written? That's a different story. <laughs> okay, well, what, are, what is how many you've written then? Yeah, at this point, I think I've written at least 100 short stories. Probably much, much more. And I, that's, the, that's ones that are, like, actually finished in some sense. 
um, they have a the end in it. And books I've written six or seven, I think. Gotcha. <laughs> That's awesome. I wish I could write so many books that I just don't even know that I've, that I've lost count at that point. Well, as you know, proud Hamill trash, I like to make Alex proud. Okay, great. Now, what's next? You sound like you're someone who's constantly, constantly working on something. Incorrect. I am constantly, oh. constantly working on several somethings. Oh, several somethings. Yes. My All fault. at once. Okay. Um, what's next is uh, I introduced a character in the short story I wrote for Silk and, for Silk and Steel named Doña Ana Lucia Serrano y Veracruz. And uh, she is an aristocratic Latina space archaeologist with a sword. Okay. That particular phrase totally blew up my Twitter last week. Um, I would people believe apparently that. like yeah. that idea. Sure. Um, and I'm working on a full piece where she, uh, where she goes up against a bunch of neophilic tech bros who want to destroy the past, linking them to Earth. And specifically, she's trying to rescue a precious relic from Earth, from the home world. It's a Walkman from the early 80s with a mixtape stuck in it. A bad mixtape. Yeah, well, couldn't have been a good mixtape. Exactly. Um, but it's also the cornerstone of the Six Worlds culture. Like, they have, they have an opera version of uh, One Tin Soldier the, by Coven from the early 70s sure an opera and, version uh, yes. yeah and she doing traditional orchestra's uh rendition of don't you forget about me apparently can move you to tears <laughs> i <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna have to hear the recording of that one i think uh me too let me know when you find it um <laughs> awesome. but yeah my uh intention this year is to clean that up and send it off to traditional publishers Specifically, I'm looking at Erewhon books, um, but, you know, I'm open to suggestions and uh, seeing that published traditionally as opposed to self-published. Gotcha. Now, where, where can people find your work now? So you can find all of my work on Amazon if you search for R. Jean Mathieu. You know, folks, uh, I'm pretty sure Jesse and Mike are going to helpfully spell that out for you. But We can actually link. We can link, yeah. Exactly. Um, it's R and then J-E-A-N and then M-A-T-H-I-E-U. And uh, I can also be found at rjeanmathieu.com. That's where I keep my blog, Interspace. Um, and that's basically the clearinghouse for everything I do. And if you think... Quebec under glass and aristocratic Latina space archaeologists with swords is really cool. And you want to pay money for that. I've got a Patreon at patreon.com slash Arjan Mathieu. All right. Well, now if somebody checks out your website, now this has been an absolute blast, but I want to make sure we can get people uh, to visit your stuff. If somebody checks out your website right now, what are they going to find? Okay. So it's Tuesday, which means that they're probably going to see my latest blog post. Um, they're probably also going to see that nice artwork I uh, had done of Doña Ana Lucia. And uh, on Thursday, they'll see a brand new blog post. Um, and in the Lanyap section, you know, if they've signed up, they're going to be seeing a uh, couple of flash fiction pieces that I've written and a couple of other, you know, special treats. A couple of special treats. So if you check out this website, every week you're going to have to find more content. Is that correct? That is correct. That is so awesome. 
I mean, I don't know how you possibly have time to produce all the stuff you do. That's very, very awesome. Uh, I I work tech support, and sometimes we have green time. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it happens. Yeah. Okay. Um, and and my wife is also a writer, and we're both very serious about our writing. Sure. So if one of us is like, I'm in a strange mood, the other one's like, Oh, okay. I'll make sure that you have some kind of uh, liquid refreshment, like tea or wine or something. And when you emerge from the strange mood, we'll eat. <laughs> you know, if it, you know, if I, I'm working on a story, if she's working on a story, we re, we know how to respect that for each other. Sure. I mean, it must be an interesting house, I would imagine. I like to think so. We also <laughs> set a good table. <laughs> okay. So if you happen to be, you know, in the area of California, sometime. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Well, Arjun, Matthew has been our guest today. He's got a ton of work, a ton of fiction, all kinds of crazy genres. This has been a wild conversation. Thanks so much for joining us, man. Merci beaucoup, Jesse. Now our fathers look at us and sigh with despair To think that everything they love we simply do not share But the spirit never dies, our culture will survive each of us must choose how much to keep alive. Each of us must choose how much to keep alive. Special thanks to Josie Vashon for providing the music. You can find more about her at josievashon.com. This podcast was produced and edited by Mike Campbell. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at fclpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at fclpodcast for more information about the topics discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this episode.